Welcome to the I'm a Health Visitor podcast. We want to help health visitors stay up to date, so we're here to give evidence-based information and insight into relevant practice issues. We're currently supported by the CPHVA Education Development Trust, McQueen Bursary. Hello, it's Amy here. And it's Jenny here. Hi, Jenny. (laughs) Massive (laughs) silence, hi. (laughs) Oh dear, so we thought we'd do um, a bit of a a sort of clinical pathway policy-ish one this week, didn't we? Yeah. Um, Feels like it's ages since we've done one like this. It does. and I feel like there's a massive tie-in back to um, the early days of the podcast. I with know. Because uh, back back when we were mere infants at doing <laughs> podcasting, um, we did the um, the the hexavalent episode, which I, I recall purely because of the whole challenge of saying hexavalent. Literally, that's my main memory of the episode is that I couldn't say the word hexavalent. Oh dear. Um, but amazingly, um, despite that episode, hepatitis B hasn't been completely cured worldwide, Amy. Oh, what? I feel like we've almost not quite done our job. We've missed the mark. Um, that was definitely the goal. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, so there's this new, um, well, reasonably new um, pathway, hepatitis B, antenatal screening and selective neonatal immunisation pathway. Yes, there is. Well, I did get that out in one well breath. Well done, um, yeah. It's a catchy title we as well, have... Oh, completely. Rolls off the tongue of tree. <laughs> um, but, you know, so why why do you, why has this guideline come out, Amy? Help me. Well, so, Jenny, in, in fact, it's come out because although we're actually quite a low prevalence country for hepatitis B, so they cite some data in the report of 99% um, of women are antenatally screened for hep B. So we're pretty good at screening antenatally. And of the, yeah. those in 28 to 2019, only 0.4% were positive for hep B. Wow. So we don't have very high rates. However, um, the women that do have hep B tend to have quite, need our advocacy and our support. So I think the the phrase they use in the report, which I absolutely love, is women living with hepatitis B do not tend to have loud voices. We must be their advocates and support them through their pregnancy journey and beyond. Which I love. It's such a great way of phrasing it. And I saw, yeah, and I saw looking through the report, it was quite interesting because it's quite... um, quite regional isn't it really Mm -hmm. it's like you could quite easily have a caseload and never see anyone with hepatitis b yeah um whereas unsurprisingly um given that i remember having to order in hepatitis b vaccines for families when i was working in lewisham Mm. um london has the highest rate of the country yes and also the highest rate of women who are who are detected as carrying hepatitis b or having hepatitis b during pregnancy mm-hmm. um yeah if i remember rightly and there they said about sort of 70 percent of women in pregnancy knew already their hepatitis b status which means that 30 percent didn't yeah which must have been quite yeah, a shock which... actually to discover that in pregnancy oh completely completely yeah. um but also this report looked at sort of the fact that these especially this vulnerable group who who it was all new to them mm. often had the highest rate of um having poor or limited English, mm. B 
being quite young Mm -hmm. and presenting late in pregnancy and by that we mean sort of beyond 20 weeks when they booked Mm -hmm. um which immediately makes everything (laughs) feel like it has to go twice the speed doesn't it yeah 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 so i mean clearly we're talking about a vulnerable group here and possibly the socio-demographic factors that factor into this particular condition um so although we are a low prevalence country we do actually need to really deliver this care well for that small proportion of people because it is about closing that inequality gap um in healthcare and yeah. the people that need that extra support. So um, what should happen then, Jen? So if the, everything went perfectly, so, we're focusing just on the babies here, aren't we? Because that's obviously yes. the bit that's most yeah. relevant for health visitors. So yeah. there is a whole pathway in pregnancy, but yeah. health visitors don't need to worry too much about that because as long as no. the screening's been done and the appointment yeah. to the specialist's been made... Um, yeah. the midwives or the specialist team will be probably leading on the pregnancy care. Exactly, exactly. But we need to be aware of it from the point of view of when screening goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Unlikely unlikely to be a Saturday night tea time thing on Channel 5 anytime soon, <laughs> but important nonetheless. <laughs> Saying that, some of the things I've seen when I flicked on Channel 5, I wouldn't put it past them. Absolutely. Um, so... It should be that there's timely antenatal screening. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think in almost at booking, mm-hmm. they're normally screened for, for hepatitis B. Yeah. Um, and because also it's really important for them to know how, um, what the viral load is of the mum, how potentially infectious they will be, because that can impact what the, uh, the care is given at birth. So when baby arrives, they should have their first immunisation within 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And if mummy has high infectivity, I didn't even know infectivity was a word until recently, or until today when I've looked through this, they should have the immunoglobulin receipt, which is recommended within the first 24 hours. This gives effective short-term protection until the vaccine kicks in. They then need another vaccine at four weeks Um so four weeks old, which is the one that we need to be aware of. This is the one that we need to have an eye on and ensure that parents are mm-hmm. uh, getting booked in at GPs in a timely manner and getting this appointment booked in. That may be where our advocacy comes in. At 8, 12 and 16 yeah. weeks, they have the normal immunisations, which obviously include the hexavalent. Um, so the tie-in there, it's all done. Yeah, so if you don't know about that hexavalent vaccine that includes the Hep B, you can go away and listen to that yeah. episode. It's right there for you. Yeah, scroll right back through the listing. Yes, yeah. and it will <laughs> keep be <there>. going <laughs> down a bit further. A little, little bit lower than that one, even <laughs> there. Okay. <laughs> and then at twelve months, they should have their final vaccine as part of their routine twelve month screening. Bear with me a moment, Jim. Jim, the greyhound, has come in to settle on a beanbag and then is moving round, plus <laughs> the rumbling you may hear. And at 12 months, they're also meant to have this dried blood spot, blood spot, blood spot test, which shows if they are um, if they are carriers of hepatitis B themselves or if the vaccinations have worked. Yeah. Um, because what we do know is that of children who contract hepatitis B. 
in infancy, um, it's it's a lot worse. Um, whereas a lot of things, we always say, oh, it's better to get it when you're younger. Hepatitis B is not on that list. No. Um, much higher risk of cirrhosis, mm. uh, which is liver scarring, and of cancer of the liver as well mm. in children. So the cumulative So we really need to liver, be yeah. on top of this. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to know if they do if they have had it. And actually, they list in the report that um, any baby contracting it um, through vertical transmission is a serious event that should be you yeah. know treated as that clinically definitely and by vertical transmission we're meaning just by being born of a mum with hepatitis b sorry yeah yeah so that's what should happen and really the timing of those are crucial aren't they um in particular the four week one and i did read as well in the guidance that um even if the birth one is given late, the four week one should still be given at four weeks. So it shouldn't, it's not about the spacing between the vaccines as it is with the hexavalent one. Um, with the Hep B monavalent vaccine, just the Hep B on its own, it's about the timing of the vaccine in terms of the infant's life. Yeah. So four weeks after birth, that should be given. Um, and that it is important that it's given on time. So, especially given that this is a vulnerable group that might be where the health visitor can play a role in making sure that this is, you know, keeping this infant safe. Yeah, yeah. And I think the important thing as well is that, you know, it's like with this sort of group, we can't use, oh, well, we sent them a letter. Oh, well, we sent them a text message to be an excuse as to why they've missed it. Because I'm sorry, that those are not always accessible. So that's what should happen. Um, but in terms of what actually happens, um, in the report it highlights, and this is really why this report exists, because um, it's highlighting the gaps and the kind of missing data that we have. So they looked at yeah. um, 2,204 live-born infants, and they found 85% of those were given the vaccine at birth. were given over 24 hours after delivery. 11% the timing of that first dose wasn't known. Um, 2.5% there was missing information. And then in terms of the pregnancy, 151 of the pregnancies didn't have any record of a specialist appointment in pregnancy at all. Um, And obviously some of that, I think, one of the, the key factors they reported in that was those who had booked late. Yes, sure. And obviously, yeah, it talks about over 20 weeks, but I mean, that could even be booking in at 35 weeks could be. or yeah. arriving yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> arriving in labour, which yeah. I'm sure probably at least one of them did. Yeah. And then it says for the um, infants born to high infectivity mothers, 87% yeah. of those cases had the um, immunoglobulin administered so obviously that should be a hundred percent um then they looked at a subsample of 309 babies um and they found 98 percent ish get the vaccine at birth so that's really good um yeah but only 54 percent of them had an infection status available on the records um so that's from that blood spot test at 12 months so that's either that hasn't been completed or it hasn't been recorded properly um and only 78 percent of them had received that 12 month dose the remainder were unknown or missing so um really there's a gap there and if there's anything we can do in terms of the streamlining the 
um i don't know what the right word is the like the you know the letter sending the, the reminders the, the prompts the, the process almost, isn't it yeah yeah if there's anything we can yeah. do to streamline that process and increase those percentages then you know that's really vital to be doing because it could be hugely impactful on yeah. that baby so what is that thing where we, it's interesting because it's things like you're saying about the, the handover the communication mm. and i think it's also that thing with getting registered the gp which yeah i know can be a hassle even for families who we have on a universal program who we have no concerns about yeah it's that thing where gps know that the parents yeah you know, the mother's <laughs> pregnant. pregnant yeah and yet it's still a surprise when the baby arrives yeah. even though they have notification <laughs> of the baby arriving yeah but they still need registering separately don't they and i think a lot of women are um sorry a lot of pregnant people are surprised by that um and and go oh right i just thought they'd be registered automatically because now they're here and you know which is a fair assumption to make oh Um, no completely completely so at the new birth visit i think it's also that thing sorry yeah i was going to say as well it's that thing where not only is it registering it's also i mean it's generally over the last few years always been perceived as difficult to get a gp appointment Mm -hmm. i think with the pandemic everyone's assumption is now that it's a hundred times harder Mm -hmm. and so there is a certain element of those who were already saying oh but it's really tricky to get an appointment yeah and dragging their hip toes about making the appointment and now it can be even more so tricky and it's so difficult because it's not like we have any faster way of making contact with gps often and working with gps to be able to get that sorted easily what i would say is that i think to be honest this is quite an unusual thing to happen so you you may see some in your career but it's not going to be a weekly occurrence that you have a mum with hep b positive so if that is happening and you do have somebody on your caseload i would be tempted you know to put it on your gp liaison um you know you know in advance that that baby's going to be born to make sure that there's a process in place you've got time to plan this hopefully and even if you haven't got time to plan it what you should be aware of is that in this guidance document there is a huge number of prompts and um belt and braces type reminders there's a there's a lot of process that's being put into place yeah. for everybody, the, not just health visitors, but practice nurses, no, GPs, admin, child health. So hopefully, I was going to say the report board. also talks. Yeah, the report also talks a bit about CHIS and child health involvement. Yeah, and I think especially in the cities, that's really important. Yeah, because it's that thing where most areas now have geographical caseloads, and so you could be having to liaise with three or four different GP surgeries yeah. within your caseload. Yeah, and yeah, annoyingly, yeah. you can always guarantee that your hep V cases will be scattered. For sure. <laughs> and I mean, you know, I'm saying like use the liaison meeting as if they work perfectly. And I know from my own personal experience that they don't. But I'm just, I suppose I'm saying there's lots of belt and braces processes in this guidance document. So you shouldn't meet much pushback if you're trying to get that that four-week appointment for that baby that needs that hep B vaccine, that shouldn't be something that's difficult to book because the GPs should be getting notifications, you know, constantly from the look of this document. Like, nobody should be surprised that this is the thing that needs to happen. So that's what they're trying to do is really make sure, like, a scattergun approach with the reminders, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, so... 
key points for the health visitor. So making sure you've had a good handover and good communication with the professionals, making sure at the new birth the baby's registered with a GP and booked in for their four-week vaccine, making sure that the other vaccines are given at 8, 12 and 16 weeks just with the routine hexavalent vaccine Um, and making sure the vaccine's given at 12 months um, plus the blood spot, the blood spot test at 12 months and that's to check that they do. Apparently it's calling it a blood spot. I was calling it a blood splot. You're yeah. calling it a blood speck. I don't know. It's all over the place. Should we just say DBS? Yeah, Try the DBS blood. test. <laughs> um, 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 at 12 months to see whether they actually have it. And then... And I think the important thing is as well, though, that obviously that DBS is, I'm guessing, done by the practice nurse is, at yeah. the same time as doing the immunisation. Yes. So it should just be just working out a route as to have that communicated to us. Yeah. Yeah, but um, it has been because done. Because I think that's the issue as well. Again, it's that thing of... And I think we're so quick to beat ourselves up and feel like we're not communicating effectively enough with midwives. We're not communicating effectively enough with GPs. Mm. There is an element of us sometimes needing to be met in the middle. Absolutely. Um, um, and and the, it, just for you as well, for people to know, that DBS test should be done before the vaccine is given. So at the start of the appointment, so that the antigen in the vaccine doesn't interfere with the results of the test. Um, but the practice nurse should know all about this. And if you're interested yeah. on kind of those more like unusual cases, like what to do if children have missed doses or delayed doses, if they've got household contact, but the mum is negative... Um, if there's families where the parents have declined the vaccine um, for some reason, then all of that is actually in this guidance document. So I'm not going to go through all of the detail of that because it's quite a niche thing, but I'm linking yeah. to the guidance in the in the podcast notes. So anyone who wants to go away and read it can. Um, but it's very Fantastic. serious if they decline that, that vaccine, actually. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. 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 So hopefully that's a short and sweet one for you folks and uh, yeah. give you an overview. I say it feels like ages since we did short and sweet. I know, it's nice, um, isn't it? I, I hope everyone appreciates we do still have to do as much research yeah. into them. <laughs> <laughs> it takes just as long. Uh, okay. Oh. Thanks so much, so, everybody, for listening. Yeah. And, um, yeah, if you want to get in touch, then you can um, get in touch with us on Instagram at IamAHV, on Facebook via I am a health visitor. Or via good old email. Yeah. Who knew? 20 years ago, we'd be referring to good old email. Yeah. Um, and that's I am a health visitor at gmail.com. Um, and yeah, if you're feeling a bit sort of like you've still got an extra 15, 20 minutes in the car to get through, then look up our hexavalent episode. Yeah. Um, I think if if we didn't call it hexavalent, it's definitely got hepatitis in the title of it. If you're searching for it, <laughs> um, I think it was. I feel like it was in August. I'll one. link it in the podcast notes. But yeah, and um, yeah, catch up with us there. And <laughs> also, yeah, just let us know if you've got any ideas coming. Obviously, we've got the whole of the this year coming up with um, time for um, episode or lots of episodes we need to plan out. So let us know if there's anything a buzz or if there's anything you're querying um, or even if there's anything you guys are doing that you're really proud of and want to share yeah we'd love to be able to share good practice on the podcast um and especially you know direct from you guys i know there are opportunities for managers and 
the higher echelons to um to put things together and talk about stuff but it'd be really nice to hear directly from guys who are on the shop floor about things they're doing which you may think even are really little things and you might have mentioned to someone in the office something you do and they've gone oh wow that's really cool let us know as well we would love to hear about it and love to shine a light on the stuff that maybe is not quite big enough for a journal article yeah um but actually really useful to share yeah yeah i can guarantee there's very few journal articles i've read that i've actually thought wow yeah that directly relates to my practice the (laughs) amount of things i've heard my colleagues talking about where i've gone oh my god yes that is such a good idea yeah that's true even little things like when I when I was working in Southwest London, suddenly everyone seemed to have Kinder Egg um, eggs. Oh yeah, and we were using those for our for our head circumference tape. Back in the day when we used to reuse those those ones. Yeah. Oh I know, I know, but it was that little time to daft thing where yeah. it was something really straightforward. You went, that's genius. And share. Yeah, and I think yeah, and it's those those little bits of genius. I would love to do a health visiting genius episode. That's at some a point. great idea. Hey, great shout. Um, okay, <laughs> okay, thanks so much for listening, everyone. Take care in the meantime. Bye bye.